So, Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the comfort that we receive from you. Thank you for the testimony of Dean and Charlotte. And they're uh, just incredible. And just thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for being, uh, as we have been singing, a refuge, um, a mighty fortress, an ever-present help. Uh, th- thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're, we are introduced to a young man in the book of Acts, and the early church met in the home of his mama, and he had such promise and such faithfulness was expressed in his life that the Apostle Paul grabbed this young man and mentored him and took him on the first missionary journey. In the middle of what they were doing, this young man, the Bible says, departed. He left Paul. He left Barnabas. He went back home. Homesick. We don't know what happened, but he departed. They completed their journey, and later Paul and Barnabas were talking, and Paul said, let's go back and visit the Bible reading groups and the churches, the people we've ministered to and seen come to faith in Christ. Let's preach the gospel to more people in these areas. And so his friend Barnabas said, let's take along this young man named John Mark. And Paul says, uh, no, he was unfaithful. He needs to prove himself. I don't think so. And the Bible says in Acts 15 that a sharp disagreement separated these two brothers. And so Paul took a man named Silas and went one way, and Barnabas took John Mark and went the other way. A sharp disagreement separated these two pillars in the early church. Well, 15 years later, The Apostle Paul is on his deathbed, we think, and he's writing what is now in our Bible, 2 Timothy, the last letter he would write. And this is what Paul says 15 years later. In chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. John Mark had been restored, rehabilitated, completely embraced. Four years later, the book of 1 Peter was written, and the Apostle Peter, in his closing statement that we're looking at, chapters 5 and then verses 12 to 14, says, Mark, my son. And what Peter is saying there, I believe, is that Mark has been gloriously reinstated, rehabilitated. He's a brother in the Lord. Now, I'm reading that, I thought, you know, this is, this is, I think in Peter's mind, this is a reflection of his own life, that Peter has been restored. Peter had been rehabilitated. And I I think he's rejoicing that. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. Then he says, Mark, my son. And I think uh, what, what Peter is saying, in essence, is this. You cannot send yourself outside of the orbit of God's grace. 
You cannot send yourself outside of the orbits, orbit of God's grace. And, and so I want to give you some brief snapshots uh, of how Peter gets here and then talk about a pattern for being reinstated or rehabilitated. Snapshot number one, this all takes place on, around the passion of Christ. Snapshot one, Jesus says to his men, all of you will desert me. All of you will be scattered to fulfill the scriptural promise. And Peter stands up and he says basically this. He says, he says Lord, these guys may desert you, but I'm not. I'm not going to. They're JV. I'm the captain of the varsity. I'm not going to desert you. Even if I have to die, I will never desert you. And Christ says, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Which is not, not me. Arrogance. Snapshot number two, Christ is burdened. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes his three key men, Peter, James, and John, and he says, stay here and pray. I'm going to stone throws over there. My heart is heavy because he realized he was about to be the sin-bearing Messiah. He realized he was going to be separated from the Father for a moment existentially because he would bear the sin of his people. And Peter, in the hour of his teacher's need, Peter, the go-to guy, slept. Christ woke him up. He slept again. Snapshot number three. After that episode, the people, the leaders, the, the soldiers, the guards came to arrest Jesus. This is incredible. John 18 then Jesus, knowing all that was what to happen to him, came forward and said to the soldiers who come to arrest him, Whom do you seek? And they answered, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's amazing to me. These battle-weary, battle-tested soldiers fell to the ground. I don't necessarily say why. My belief is, my opinion, is that there was, there was a brief moment when the majesty of Messiah King shone forth and they fell to the ground. And then they came forward and they took Christ. And it says that Peter had a sword and he threw out his sword and he started wildly swinging and he cut off the ear of a servant named Malchus. And Christ healed the man's ear. And then he said, he says, Peter, put up your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me to drink? Another gospel account, it says, he says, Peter, I, I could call down 72,000 angels at boom, like that. I, I've come to drink this cup. The sword, the impulsivity. Act 4, the denial. The denial. In Luke chapter 22, verse 59, it says this. Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean, they said about Peter. 
But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter's eyes met the Lord. Act 5. The next verse says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Bitterly. Act 6. Christ is resurrected from the dead. The women get up to go to the tomb and to anoint the body. And they said, we don't know how we're going to do this because there's a huge stone in front of the tomb. They get to the tomb. And the, the stone's rolled away. They go inside the tomb, and there sitting inside the tomb is a man dressed in white. And the man says to them, he says, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, why, why did the angel say, go tell his disciples and Peter? Answer, Peter needs to be reinstated. Peter needs to be rehabilitated. Peter needs to be assured of his forgiveness. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Acts 7. Reinstatement, part 2. John 21. The disciples have been out fishing all night. Nothing. So they were 100 yards off the shoreline. And a shadowy figure in the pre-dawn light said, put your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll get some fish. So, well, okay. So they've put their nets on the other side of the boat and John doesn't leave us with any question about what happened. 153, count them, 153 fish jumped in the nets. Big fish. Because they couldn't even really get it on board. These, these grown fishermen are struggling to get the nets on board and they're, they're laughing and giggling. Says, Can you believe this? And as they looked up and maybe there was more light, John, we think, says, It's the teacher, it's the master. Maybe you saw the nail prints. And it says, Peter put on his cloak and he jumped in and he swam to shore. Why? Peter, I believe, remembered the look. Peter remembered you can't send yourself outside of the orbit of God's grace in Jesus. Peter remembered the look of Christ. The look was not one of anger. When Peter denied him, it was not the look of frustration. 
It was not the look of disgust. It was the look of wounded love, I believe. And Peter understood, I want to be with that Savior. Have, have you ever done something really stupid? And your mom or your dad or your spouse or friend had every right to look at you as if you were refuse. And instead of looking at you like you were refuse, they looked at you with wounded love. You did something and your parents had to come and bail you out. Or had to pick you up. And, and, and you deserved condemnation. But your daddy looked at you with wounded love. See, you cannot send yourself outside of the orbit of God's grace. So I want to go through this paradigm that I see in Peter's life and also in Psalm 32 of being reinstated. Many of us come this morning broken and beat and dealing with issues that no one knows about. But here's, here's the pattern. Number one is, is, is arrogance. I see that with Peter. You know, Peter stood up and said, not me. These losers might, but not me. These guys might, but not me. There's a confession of faith called the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's a chapter 18 on assurance of salvation where we can kind of say understanding the nearness and forgiveness of God in Christ. Being assured that you're forgiven. And it says that Article 4 says sometimes that your assurance can wax and wane because you're negligent in preserving it or you fall into some special sin. You forget. And, and yet they are never destitute of that seed of God in the life of faith and they are supported from utter despair. You can't, in other words, you can't send yourself outside of the orbit of God's grace if you're His. You, you become negligent. And you lose the sense of God's presence and power. And, and, and you fall into some special sin or, or you're just un, un, unthankful. You're, you're, just, you're just, you know. Hosea 13 says, This, when I fed them, they became satisfied. When they became satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. Time after time, the Bible says, don't forget the Lord. I fed them. They became satisfied. They became proud or arrogant. They forgot me. This week, I picked up, read a news item, said that a, a highly decorated four-star general, 68 years old, graduated number one in his class at West Point in 1966. His, his resume would take five pages. 68, 46 years of marriage, has left his wife and is taken up with a 32-year-old. A, a woman who's 13 years younger than his son. And I thought Thanksgiving meal will be very interesting at their house this year. And my, my first thought was gross. You just destroyed your legacy. My second thought was, God, don't let me go there. Let me know that my heart needs grace every day. 
what we call broken down house. Productive living is always rooted in a humble sense of personal neediness. This neediness only comes when you begin to understand and accept what the Bible has to say about sin and daily reach out for the help that can only be found through the Lord Christ. I need you, oh, I need you. So, so the, the first step in this cycle is you become arrogant or forgetful or unthankful or negligent. Your mind is, is consumed with a ball game coming up or with your job or your kids or school starting, and you just forget the things of, to really seek God, and you slip. And the second thing that happens is you sin. You become arrogant, you leave off the watch, you sin. Psalm 32 is incredibly instructive. We are not sure what surrounded the writing of Psalm 32. Most people feel it in tandem with Psalm 51 was written when David fell into sin with Bathsheba and murdered basically her husband. And so Psalm 32 says this in verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. When I kept silent. In other words, when David says, when I fell into sin, instead of running to the reality of God, running to the cross, running to the forgiveness that's found in Messiah King, whose name is Jesus, instead of, instead of running, I, I, I was silent. I didn't confess. I didn't deal with it. I was just Silent. And when I was silent, I didn't confess, I didn't run. He says, I, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I was listless. I was in agony. See, if, if, if you are a Christ follower... And you've been born again. And when you're born again, when you regenerate, you receive the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christ follower and you, you have the Holy Spirit, if that's the case, and if you're involved in unconfessed, ongoing, unremittent, shake your fist in the face of God sin, the only word that should describe you, really, listen to me, the only word that should describe you is this word, miserable. Because you have the Holy Spirit miserable. David said, I, I, I kept silent. Miserable. See, the story, you know the story, David is at the height of his power. We know from the Bible that David was good looking. He was a warrior. He was a poet. He was a musician. He had it all. He's at the height of his power. He should have been at battle with his men, but he's home. And perchance he sees a young woman bathing. He kind of glances, glances away. She bathes the same time every day. One day he's on the roof and he makes eye contact with her and maybe she didn't pull the shade. Maybe she left it on, left it open and took her time bathing. It's flattering to be the lust object of a powerful man. He brings her into his house. They have intimacy. She becomes pregnant. Her, wife, her husband is bivouacking in the field fighting the enemy. David calls him home, tries to get him to sleep with his wife. He wouldn't. 
because he didn't want to do something his men couldn't do. So David sends him back and he tells his lead general, have this man attack a city and have him in a place where he will for certain be killed. And he did that. And you think about it, not, not only did David commit adultery, he killed this man, but he killed this man in a battle with a host of other warriors who wore on their garment the insignia of King David. How crass is that? How crass is that? How many men died to cover up David's adultery? We don't know. It was a group of men. And so you sit back and if you're writing this script, you say David took in this woman as his wife now. This woman who's pregnant. Took her in. She's beautiful. The Bible says she was beautiful. Beautiful. You say, man, David, a beautiful wife, covered his tracks. Man, what, what was he doing? Let me tell you something. He was miserable. He was miserable. He sit on his throne one day, and a guy comes in named Nathan, and he tells a fantastic story about a landowner with thousands of sheep who had a, a friend come to town. Instead of taking one of his sheep, he went next door to a tenant farmer who had one lamb, and he killed the lamb, and he fed his friend. And David said, that man deserves to die. He will pay back fourfold what he's done. And Nathan said, you are the man. He said, you, David, you, you committed adultery. You took the sword and you killed Uriah. You've sinned against God. What, what did David say? He, he didn't say what some kings have said when you read the Old Testament. Seize that man and kill him. He said, I am the man. David says, I really think David said inside, thank God it's come out. Thank God the healing can begin. I'm, I'm the man. I'm the man. And David says, the Lord has taken away your sin, David. You can't, you can't see yourself out of the orbit of God's grace, David. See, miserable, just to be honest, some, sometimes I'm, I'm dealing with a sin in my life or something I should be doing that I'm not doing, and God's just saying, you need to do this. In love, he's saying it, but he's saying, you know, come on, come on. I read the word and I go, man, I'm not doing that. God, forgive. And, and so I'm dealing with that, and somebody will come up to me. This happens frequently. I won't tell you how, how frequently my wife or somebody knows me and I've spent time with, and they'll say, are, are, are you okay? You, you, just, you just look down. And I, I always say, not always, but usually say, well, I, I'm tired. And it's true, I am tired. It's not a total lie. I'm not going to say, well, God's hand is heavy upon me. My strength has been sapped like the summer's heat, and uh, I'm groaning. But I, I pray God doesn't let us off the hook. See, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of comfort, but also conviction. And if you're a child of God and you're in an ongoing, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, you should be miserable. And if you're not, you should cry out, God, save me. I believe that. Psalm, Psalm 34, listen to this. See, Dave just said, my, my, my 
my strength was sapped, heat of summer. Listen to this, Psalm 34. I saw the Lord and he, he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. What happens when you know you're delivered and forgiven and reinstated and restored? What happens? Verse, verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. <laughs> Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man cried and Jehovah saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Th- those who look to him are radiant. Listen, we need to be radiant. Some of us aren't. It's your responsibility to look happy. Practice. Go home, stand in front of the mirror and say, i got to look happier. And God has delivered me. The angel of the Lord encamps around me. I need to be radiant. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had set us free from the law of sin and of death. Romans 8, be happy. But part of the reinstatement process is you you deal with your sin. Thirdly, you repent. See that in verse 5. He says this, I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. And then he gives the commentary on that. He says, verse 9, he says, don't, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding who must be curbed with bit and bridle, or they won't stay near you. They, don't, they, they can't think rightly, so they have to be controlled. Don't, don't be that way. And he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. You repent. Now you have repentance. There's gladness. Think about Psalm 34 recently. Psalm 34 says this. Uh, Psalm 36, excuse me, verse 7 says, um, How precious is your unfailing love, O Lord. The children of men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. You, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. Man, that's, isn't that cool? The next verse, verse 9, four, four, with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. For with you is the, the fountain of life. Now, living here in the summer of 2013 in Charleston, fountains don't impress us that much. And we've had more rain than, it's unbelievable. But if you're writing this psalm in a desert where there's not a lot of water, and you say that, that the living God is a, 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 a never-ending, inexhaustible fountain. See, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are this fountain of life. And in His light do we really see light and we really understand living. Fountain. See, fountain. See, that's why we run to the, to the one whose name is Jesus. That's why we run to Christ. That's why we run to the one who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
That's why we run to the one who, who the writer of Hebrews says is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Let us see Jesus by the Spirit. We run. And, and then we, as we run and we repent, there's restoration. And so David starts out Psalm 32 with the conclusion blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed. Blessed is the one who sees Messiah King reigning from the cross. Blessed. So, so you see, to me, this whole restoration process involves you deal with your sin, you, you, you repent, And the joy comes in. You cannot send yourself outside of the orbit of God's grace. I don't care what you have done. The devil just beats you up. God welcomes sinners. And why did Peter jump out of the boat? He remembered the look. He remembered the look. You see the pattern? See the, just look at the Bible. Just see the pattern of the Bible. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and the promise, I'll give you rest. Who does he call? Weary, heavy laden people. People just beat up and beat down. See, to me the gospel is a First time you meet Christ's invitation, and every day you meet Christ's invitation. Weary and heavy laden. The promise, I'll give you rest. What do you do? You, you repent and believe. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart. And the promise, restoration. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Weary, heavy laden. What do you do? Take my yoke. Run to me. Learn from me. Promise, rest for your souls. I want you to have rest. I want you to realize you never can send yourself outside of the orbit of God's mercy in Christ. Man, run to that. If you've never come to this place of, of trusting in Christ, Run to Him. If you're a Christ follower, every day, run to Him as you pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Not just our food, but, but the, the power of the Holy Spirit to look to you and to know you. And may our faces, Lord, and may our lives reflect the wonder of saying, blessed is the man whose sins are covered, whose iniquities are forgiven. I want that. So as Peter closes this, this letter, I think he's saying to the churches, behold the glory of restoration. Look at the life of my son, John Mark. Look at my life, an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, uh, we thank you for the testimony of 
restored people in the Bible. A young man who fled and yet was restored and loved and embraced. A, a, a shepherd king from whom the Messiah came as far as his physical heritage. A shepherd king who at the height of his power walked away. And yet you restored him. And I thank you that you restore people. I, I pray you'd restore us daily. I pray for people who are going through a difficult time because of, because of negligence or sin. I, I just thank you that, that you restore us. I thank you that Peter jumped out of the boat unceremoniously. Jumped out of the boat because he remembered the look. I pray that we would never forget the look of a Savior who loves. Oh God, speak to us and lead us and teach us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.